previously on The Avatar Returns. Did you you just use the phrase, kick in the feels? I, yes, I did. God damn it, this show's over. I'm fucking, fucking taking my clip-on mic off right now and storming out of the studio. I am bougie as fuck. Your days of tyranny are over, Fire Lord. I will defeat you, and this time, I brought pants. This whole, this whole Avatar thing is just a backdoor pilot for a Zuko series, is that what you're yes, saying? Yes, pretty much. By the way, I just want to point out, for the second time this season, I have defended a dumb comedy episode. You, you have strong opinions on Serena Williams, I'll give you that. Every time she calls me AJ, she drops a nickel in the jar. I, I think your comments, AJ, are out of line. Dear Jesus fuck why the Swamp Benders came back. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Avatar Returns. I'm Paul. I'm Eric. And I'm Arlo. And each week we discuss two to four episodes of the Nickelodeon animated series Avatar The Last Airbender and its sequel series The Legend of Korra. Uh, this week we're back from hopefully our last hiatus uh, of our Avatar run, at least, as we begin the Countdown to the Comet, the bittersweet journey to the epic series conclusion. Uh, we're going to drag it out as much as we can, though, uh, as tonight we'll only be discussing two chapters, 312, The Western Air Temple, and 313, The Firebending Masters. Uh, but before we get to the show, um, we've previously spoken, uh, Eric, at least you and I have previously spoken about uh, our love of Dave Filoni and Star Wars Rebels, and uh, the second season just wrapped up, so let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that was um, that was a very, not quite the ending I was expecting. Um, and, and right. I, 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 um, I, the thing that surprised me the most was actually that I liked Darth Maul. They used Darth Maul in a way that I found interesting, which I, was shocking to me. I know. I was uh, I was a little surprised by that myself. I genuinely couldn't remember, I guess we should say, spoilers for Star Wars Rebels and perhaps Clone Wars, too. But um, Hey, I, do I need to close my ears? Are you ever actually going to watch this stuff? I don't know. Yeah, well, so continue. Then, then don't worry about it. Um, I, I honestly can't really remember where... Uh, we left off like where clone wars left him i do do you okay yeah so it was the end of the really really atrocious darth maul savage press arc right and but which ended gloriously by sidious showing up and beating the unholy hell out of both of them uh-huh. and killing savage press and then dragging darth maul away saying i have uses for you or something wow i remember all of that except uh him being dragged away like I, I remember, sure. I remember Savage Opress, the best character name in the Star Wars universe. Uh, I remember him getting killed off. But, anyways, so I will tell you uh, once again spoilers for the season two finale of Rebels. Uh, I was, I had made my peace, uh, expecting this to be the grand finale for Ahsoka Tano. Yeah, I too. just, uh, I, I, they'd been building up to it, and with the. The episode title, Twilight of the Apprentice, I was like, I guess this is where we're going, so I need to just buckle in and, and be prepared for that. And they they didn't do it. I mean, yeah. they, they tried to make it look like maybe they had, but they didn't. There's a pretty clear indication that they had not done that, too. If yeah. People were asking questions like they're not sure, but I'm, I'm pretty sure there's straight up a shot of her. It was um, it was quick, and it was from a distance. Like it, I think it was meant to be... To, to look like maybe it was ambiguous, but I don't think it was. I, I, I'm pretty no. sure of that. No, I, the one. So I did do some. I read some stuff afterwards because I was curious, and they and the, obviously Filoni isn't saying what happened to Ahsoka, but he is saying that he doesn't expect her to show back up on Rebels again because oh. he feels like it will. And this is actually fair that this, it's hard for the story not to become about her and Vader, right? When you have her on the show, and yes. they want to make sure it stays focused on the main characters, and that it doesn't take over the show, but that he would love to tell more Ahsoka stories. And he was saying, "Well, you know, we have stories in the past in between Clone Wars and this, which I'm fine with those too." But I suspect he didn't kill her. I don't. I don't think that happened. I and mean, actually, what we got was amazing. the The Ahsoka Vader confrontation was awesome. Yes, it, um, it, I, I, I kind of wanted it to be like I was the tiniest bit disappointed when. Uh, they finally did face off, and she said, 
uh, I don't what what did she say? Something like I suspected that it might be you, Anakin, yeah. or whatever. I kind of I didn't want her to be quite as calm about that. Like I wanted her. I I really wanted that to be more of a gut punch when it happened. But it was great. I still. But I still the, the real like the the more emotional punch we got was when she cuts open his helmet. Yeah. And we and we get the mix of James Earl Jones and Anakin's voice. Yeah, that was done really well. I liked it. it that was pretty it was pretty excellent. And I I, I really I just liked it. She got like a she got a really epic send off. A did. really epic send off. And actually overall just a great episode. I mean like Kanan his like his fighting blind mm-hmm. was amazing. Everybody's um, got Daredevil envy. <laughs> yes, yes, I I really like that. The brief flash of the, although we have been already seen it of uh, the broad saber, basically. Right. Yeah. Um, a Jedi version of right. that thing, which I thought was great. I I just I really I really liked it. I thought it was a uh, it was it was really focused, which I thought was awesome. It was all Jedi stuff, all Sith stuff, and and it was a great way of. I have to give them credit for for pulling off making Vader have a confrontation with someone that was intense without making him less scary or nigh unstoppable. Right. Like, cause really like you, you, I, I will buy Ahsoka holding her own for a while against him. Like that's, that's valid. And I, you have to give them all credit also for an impossible situation where she can't save him because it's gotta be Luke. You know what I mean? So right. yeah. like you have to be able to make that a real confrontation without actually being able to do what you would, like if you were writing this story, it would be Ahsoka that saves her, not Luke. Like if you now, were doing it from the beginning. Right? Now, now I want uh, a scene with uh, old Ahsoka uh, and Luke Skywalker. Like I, I want, I want like her to meet Luke Skywalker and thank him for saving her master. Yeah. Oh, totally. I, there's there's a a big part of me that wishes that like instead of in the movies instead of us getting Maz Kanata that it was mm-hmm. Ahsoka in that role oh God, like that Ahsoka awesome. running like like as like old um like Cantina running Ahsoka after everything's done I would have killed oh, Jesus that kind of I I love Maz Kanata but God damn it now <laughs> yeah I I do too like I think Maz Kanata was great I just I would love I would love that like that like history role played by some by a character like that who has big history but yeah. we'll get we'll get what we get you know you're I'm, you're aware of the ahsoka book right yeah i heard about it i have to, i'm gonna have to pick it up yeah I'm, I'm comes out it. it's uh called star wars ahsoka it comes out october 11th and it uh fills in some of the stuff between the end of clone wars and or her end on clone wars and then star wars rebels i, I strongly suggest going out and finding the interview with dave filoni it's like a four-page interview with i think ign um, and he actually goes into some detail about a story he would have told with Ahsoka had they been able to keep going on Clone Wars, dealing with Darth Maul, which is why they seem to know each other, mm-hmm. even though they never fought in the series. And a little bit about why she said the last time she saw Anakin, he was running to face to help the Chancellor. So anyways, there was another stuff that was all referencing stuff that they've kept in the backstory, but that they never actually have to tell in Clone Wars. So anyways, go find the interview on IGN. It's like a four page interview with Dave Filoni. And it's pretty great. Sweet. All right. Um, Arlo, did you have anything to add to this discussion or anything you want to banter about? When do you guys think um, characters from the new Star Wars movies will start popping up uh, in cartoons? That's a good question. Um, Poe Dameron just got uh, the first issue of his spinoff comic just dropped today, as a matter of fact, as we record this. (laughs) Have either of you read any of the Marvel stuff? Because a lot of it looks interesting, but I haven't. Especially like the the I think Jason Aaron is doing Star Wars, and uh, uh, Karen Gillan is doing Darth Vader. I, I'm I want to check all this stuff out, but I haven't uh, I haven't I, had the chance yet. I've I've read some of it, uh, like here and there. Uh, they did um, it just wrapped up, but they did a Kanan uh, series. I didn't realize at the time that it was a limited series. I think it ran twelve issues, but. Uh, um, and that was really good. That was excellent. I loved that. I've read some of the issues. Uh, there was a Princess Leia miniseries that was pretty good. Was I've that read... Mark Wade who did that one? I think so. That sounds right. Um, I've read some of the just the regular Star Wars title that Marvel's putting out, and they're they're okay. I, I have, and then I've read a th- couple issues of the Darth Vader series, which I think is actually better than the regular Star Wars thing. But um, you know, I I still have problems reading tie-in material 
um, when so, when so the, the when the actual like actors are being portrayed in the comic. Right. I, I don't know. I, it's it's hard for me to wrap my head around that. So, Dark Horse did a lot of really good stuff with mm-hmm. Star Wars, and I, I imagine it was a pretty big blow to Dark Horse when uh you know yeah. Disney bought Lucasfilm and everything went to Marvel. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was just curious as to how they're they're handling it. I, I need to check some of that stuff out. Marvel used to uh, Marvel published the original Star Wars comics. Oh yeah, through the seventies and eighties, they did all kinds of Star Wars, and it was batshit crazy. Yeah, th- those were wild. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was nuts. What was the What was the bunny? Wasn't I, there a bunny? There, there was a like a an eight foot tall green rabbit, and I don't remember his name. I want to say it's Dax, maybe. Hold on, hold on. I'm finding this. Jackson, J A X X O N. Okay, Jackson. Um, he was a star hopper. <laughs> of course, he was. Course. This is oh man, uh, on a uh, Wikipedia, yes. uh, the picture for Jackson is an extremely lifelike rendering. That's uh, <laughs> a little disturbing. There's also a great panel of him, an ext- one of his extremely long legs kicking another alien uh, while he shouts, "I ain't no rodent!" Oh my gosh! Okay, and oh, the sound effect is chop. Good job. <laughs> All right, Arlo, I just want to caution you right now. Remember what happened when we were recording our episode about Zootopia and you you Google image searched Zootopia. I just want to bear that in mind before you go any further. Is it going to be any worse than this picture of Jackson hanging upside down, tied up, saying, blow it out your retros? <laughs> I'm sure it gets much worse than that. It's just the iceberg, huh? This is yes. He's my favorite Star Wars character, of course. After 30 seconds of exposure. <laughs> all right, let's let's uh, leave all of that silliness behind us and get to the real reason we're all here. Uh, let's talk about uh, Chapter 312, the Western Air Temple. So, Arlo, take us away. So, one interesting thing, uh, audience, if you don't know. Uh, Paul goes to great lengths each week to type out detailed episode synopses. Um, For no reason, because nobody but you guys gets to see them. <laughs> but they're actually they're really great. They're like almost they're they're like better than anything you'll find online just about, except for maybe the Avatar <laughs> Wiki, which is like page, each descri- episode description is pages long on that one. Um, I'm trying to teach myself brevity. Good good luck. Um, <laughs> But uh, Paul breaks it down with the A plot and the B plot. And I think we ran into a little bit of this last week. I think there was an episode that that didn't have a B plot. Mm -hmm. Neither one of the episodes this week has a B plot. And I I think that's because Zuko is now part of the group. That's right. He's he's no longer relegated to the B plot. Yeah, now it has become – it truly has become the Zuko show. Yeah. I, I was I have a little bit to talk about that, yeah. But uh Yeah, um I really uh I, I I'm a big fan of him joining the group. I it feels like you know, this this was always I'm sure this was always part of the plan uh for the show and it feels absolutely natural at this point in time that Zuko would, you know, go to the Aang gang, plead with them to to let him in the group. Um, you know, even, you know, there's a moment where he uh, bows down and offers himself up as prisoner because mm-hmm. he knows, you know, they're, they're, they don't trust him. Um, I, I loved all of that. I got chills as Aang asked him uh, to teach him about firebending. Um, I was a really big fan of this episode. I'm really glad Zuko is part of the group now. I, I refuse to talk about this episode any further until we say, hello, Zuko here. <laughs> <laughs> That was great. It was so great. All the stuff with him uh, rehearsing his speech. Yeah, him, him and the uh, him and the badger frog. That could have been the B plot. I could have written that up as the B plot. <laughs> he, he does pretty pitch perfect uh, imitations of Iroh and Azula. Yes. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. yeah Eric, what do you think about? Okay. So now that we're past the hello Zuko here. What, Sorry, what I, I I just I couldn't I couldn't let that go. No, I've got that no. in my notes. I, I, I've got. There's another great moment right after that where Zuko's like, I guess you must be surprised to see me here, to which Sokka responds, not really since you followed us all over the world. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, this is a fantastic episode. I've been, I've been waiting for this episode for a really long time because it's one of my favorites, and it definitely. I actually think I liked it more than I that this time than I did before. Like I was expecting to like it, and I it I just was. This was just fantastic. It's I, I one thing I really love about this episode specifically is that. We see a lot of villain redemption plots in fiction. There are, you know, about a, I think every show that runs long enough has at least one of them, if not like 15 of them. Mm-hmm. What I really, really love about this one is that it becomes clear why his betrayal at the end of season two was so important. Yeah. Because it is not a case of like, will the heroes trust him? This is a case where they did and he screwed them over. Right. And and almost immediately. Like he just when he was reaching out his hand and Katara was ready to pull him up out of the pit – Basically, he turns around and, ba- and lets uh, Azula kill Aang. So it's – I like this because there is no rational reason for them to give him another chance. It's not just them being self-righteous or jerks. He he burned his opportunity already. It's gone. And here he is begging for it again, and it makes the situation really desperate and really human. And he knows how screwed he is. And all of that makes this a really powerful episode uh, outside of the hilarious comedy that there's a lot of in this episode. Yeah, I, it is really painful. This episode is is uncomfortable to watch in the best way because, um, yeah, we made such a big deal about that betrayal at, at Bossing Say, and it really like the it's come home to roost for Zuko now. Uh, it's particularly painful, but very believable that uh, you know he's Zuko for probably the first time that the Aang gang has seen, we we've seen a little bit of it, but the Aang gang is getting their first glimpse of like him showing genuine regret and, and real vulnerability. Um, I mean, like you said, even to the point of like going down on his knees and offering to be cut, like, you know, take me prisoner and, uh, and no one believes him or cares perhaps at this point. And it's, you know, it's sad. It's difficult to watch that. Yeah, In fact, they, they Aang... just assume it's another uh, evil plot. Like they're, he's trying to trick them again, and yeah, it, it is really, it, it is really sad because we know um, who Zuko really is, who he has grown to be, and to see them immediately adopt like battle stances, like they're prepared to to fight him, it's really, yeah, it's uncomfortable. I, I mean, I think the the harshest moment for me was when Aang. Like, he's quiet, and you really think he's going to say, okay, let's do this. And he's like, get out of here, I never want to see you again. I can't remember what the exact quote is, but it's brutal. Yeah. Aang's, Aang's refusal of his help is the harshest thing that any of them say. And isn't that, that right after Zuko says, like, uh, you know, before you said we could be friends? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And then Aang says something like, uh, we'll never be able to trust you. Get out. Of- yeah, I don't remember the exact quote, but he, he specifically says there's no way we can ever trust you. Um, it's rough. This is, and also we, um, of course, get the uh, the final end of Sparky, Sparky, Boom, Boom, or whatever his name was. That <laughs> that was it. Sokka yeah. said, yeah. "Yeah." So, Sparky, yeah, Sparky, Boom, Man. Let's <laughs> let's talk about that for a second. Combustion Man, Sparky, Sparky, Boom, Man, Sideways Eye Guy, whatever you want to call him. Third Eye Blind. Third Eye Blind. Um, what? Why? What was the? I guess I I understand Zuko sent an assassin after them, uh-huh. and he I guess his purpose was so that Zuko could eventually try and stop him and show to the gang that he perhaps can be trusted. But I f- I feel like all the stuff with uh, with with Third Eye Blind was I was not a fan. Well, I mean he was he was kind of the unstoppable force since they don't have uh since zuko is not chasing them anymore and since azula doesn't appear to be chasing them down anymore there had to be there had to be some force like pushing them forward they couldn't just be you know on a slow a slow march to the the fire kingdom capital or whatever there had there has to be a force set against them so i mean yeah he he definitely is like the the he's the heavy for this chunk of the season which which I understand why they needed. I that said, I actually like Combustion Man a lot. I like his so powers. I. I like. I'm a big fan of him, and I actually really love how he goes out. He's yeah. one of my favorite villain villain takeouts in the in the series. I love that it's it's 
um, the boomerang, and I love that he's like. And they also did a good job setting it up because they had set up the rock hitting it right in, in the eye previously, right. and it kind of mucking with them. And I like that this he should know better, and he doesn't, and it, ex- it basically explodes his own face, which I think <laughs> is a pretty great, yes. a pretty great way to die. Oh, with my face! I'm sorry, <laughs> that just came <laughs> back to me. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I like it. I like I like that it works out. It's, I mean, also he serves a plot for reason beyond that, which is that Zuko. At some point, you need to let the Aang gang know that Zuko's for real. So mm-hmm. it, it does serve a useful purpose to have um, someone for Zuko to prove that he's really on their side against. And and Sparky Sparky Boom Man um, serves that purpose. <laughs> Although I will say, hmm. hang on, let me let me. I don't know if I should ask this because I don't know if this is spoilery. I will say I had the first time I watched the series, I had a, a momentary read on that whole, the confrontation between uh, Zuko and combustion man. Uh, like the first time I ever watched the show, I, I, I can, <laughs> I imagined something else was happening there. So Arlo, since you're the newbie, how did you read that? Like what? What is your opinion? What is your take on what went down there between Zuko, uh, Zuko and Combustion Man? Yeah, not uh, not necessarily not actually like physically what happened, but in show terms, like what? I mean, what role do you think that that played? I mean, I think I think I agree with you guys. It was there so that uh, Zuko could, you know, try and stop him and show the Aang gang that he was for real. Okay, I I, may, like, I I'm not entirely sure what you're asking. <laughs> I I don't think I can ask this question without potentially spoil. I I don't want to confirm or I don't want to confirm or deny anything that's going to happen going forward in the show. So I'm just I'll I'll leave that there. Um, I will okay. say that I thought it was awesome that Ang throws a motherfucking tornado <laughs> at Combustion Man. Like, why doesn't he do that more often? That was pretty awesome. Yeah, that was pretty great. I, I like that fight a lot. It's it's on a, it's just cool because it it uses the they're at a severe disadvantage because of the gap in space. Basically, like he is in the perfect position for that fight. So I like that he kind of pins them down and and really I just like that as much as I like the idea of him exploding his own face. I also like that it get, is another chance for Sokka to be legitimately useful in the group. And I I only keep pointing that out, but for a character like Sokka in most shows. They will occasionally drop like a he doesn't suck kind of moment mm-hmm. for that kind of character, and that's it. But I like that Sokka's abilities and usefulness in the group are very consistent, and he has a growth along those lines the same way that everyone else does with their powers. I also, so I, I, I'm a fan of that. I also love the fact – I feel like uh, a few chapters back when Sokka got his badass meteor sword um, – I feel like we talked about does this mean – you know, is this the end of – Mr. Boomerang or whatever, like is the, is, does the space sword take over now? And um, no, he's still got the boomerang and still uses it to great effect. So, you, you so know, you don't like... just, you always got to use your range weapon too. You don't get rid of it just cause you get a plus one sword. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Is there like an avatar video game? Because I feel like there could be a really cool avatar video game. Uh, I think there was an online one for a while. I don't I have, I have no idea if it was any good. It was an online game. So probably not, but like th- th- that always baffles me. Like they 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 always make video games out of these properties that really don't like uh that really don't make for for fun video games. But then it comes to something like Avatar, or even like the Avengers or something. There was no Avengers video game. Like I would love to play an Avatar video game. I'm imagining like switching between the different uh the different members of the Aang gang and their different powers and abilities. Yeah, that would be a blast. That would be awesome. That would be a blast right from the a sideways eye in your head. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about the location because uh, I, I had hinted previously or I suggested in a previous episode that we still hadn't seen, in my opinion, the coolest air temple yet. And uh, now we have. This is my favorite of the air temp- of the four air temples. So uh, Arlo, what would you think of the Western air temple? It was cool. Well, why, why is it your favorite? I I, I just love the design of it. I think it's like amazingly cool. The, the the other three were basically variations on a theme. That theme being it's a really tall mountain that's hard to get to unless you have a flying bison, basically. <laughs> and uh, 
this one is, uh, I mean, I guess Zuko gets there just with a rope, but still, I, I just love the fact that they did something different. It's still theoretically just as difficult a location for people to get to, but I, I think it's a great look. It's, I wish we'd seen more of it. Like, I love the fact that they talk about the, uh, the, oh, what the hell was it? The forever, ch- the forever echo chamber or something like that. And then there was the giant pie show board. They talked about stuff at the temple, but we didn't get to see anything except that fountain that got blown to shit. Yeah. But, but anyways, I just love it. And I love the fact that it's basically like, it's right there. It's right next to the fire nation. So it kind of had to be tucked under a ledge to stay safe, I guess, but see, I'm, I'm really bad at noticing things like that. Um, like, like design stuff or noticing the fact that it was tucked under, underneath a ledge because it's right next to the fire nation. Things like that never occur to me when, when watching something. So I knew there was a reason I had you around. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, in the, in the next chapter, we're going to talk about the, uh, architectural knowledge that the the gang learns because they specifically mention it but let's let's not let this episode go though without talking about katara's cold-blooded yeah dressing down of zuko at the end of this episode absolutely that was i'll make sure your destiny ends right there permanently damn and i mean he he earned it i Mm -hmm. mean based on his past actions and no one has any better right to be angry at Zuko than Katara because it was her who gave him that, who was ready to give him that chance. Like, Katara yeah. gave him an awful lot of trust that he threw back in her face within, like, five minutes. So I I, I liked it. And also, given the fact that we've just come through Katara, the Bloodbender mm-hmm. episode, uh, there is no taking her threats lightly at this point. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. You know, what makes this tougher to watch is that it is Katara – um, who is the one who's being so cold toward him, even though she has every right to be. We're so used to Katara being like the most compassionate and the one who most wants to help people so that she um, shuts him down completely is it's kind of tough to watch. Yeah. yeah. I mean, of course she's the most compassionate. She's the one who helped, who almost let Zuko into the gang the first time. Right. And And no one is actually more... For, more ready to forgive than Toph, the least compassionate person right. in the group. Toph is the one who's like, no, maybe. Maybe he's okay. I mean, she notices, I, I love the fact that she notices Appa basically, you know, accepting Zuko. I love the fact that Appa was the first one to sort of accept Zuko because obviously Zuko set him free. Um, Aang does notice that, like he takes note of that. That's one of the reasons why he seems to be softening early on. But it's Toph that's like, you know, Appa seems to like him. So, and in the next chapter we're going to talk about, we we kind of get a hint why, like why she's so willing to accept the, uh, you know, the the opinions of Appa. Uh, something else I liked about this episode, uh, and then I imagine I will like going forward, is the dynamic between Zuko and Sokka. <laughs> Like two polar opposite personality types. Uh-huh. Uh, when uh, when Sokka takes him back to uh, their their home base there at the Western Air Temple, um, he's like, "Unpack, lunch soon, welcome aboard." Like that was it's really. <laughs> and then really he goes to stuff. Aang. Yeah, this is really weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the last thing I have for this episode is a uh, continuity throwback joke that I really enjoyed. Um, where they're talking about Zhang Zhang. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was before Toph was part of the group. Right. She was like, who's Zhang Zhang? Never mind. I guess if it's important, I'll find out. <laughs> That's right. What yeah. was great about that was in the moment, I was like, who is Zhang Zhang? <laughs> I had to do a whole I did do a whole oh. Google thing to figure out who Zhang Zhang was. And for those at home that don't remember, Zhang Zhang was the previous firebending master that, uh, that Aang tried to learn firebending from. So it's appropriate that he gets called back here um, as we're about to head into the the next chapter. Um, Yeah, I guess um, I've got this note written down for this episode, but it basically, I mean, this applies to this, both of these chapters. Um, The fact that stories, generally speaking, stories, at least good stories are about change and the character on this series that has arguably undergone the most change 
like over the course of Avatar The Last Airbender has been Zuko. So it's, it really makes a lot of sense that at this point, at least, the show feels like it really, it's actually Zuko's story. Like you said, Arlo, this is, you know, it's Avatar The Last Airbender, Zuko's story or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, anyways, and all way back when we started this whole podcast adventure, um, I at least, and I'm pretty sure Eric, like, like we knew this was coming. We knew this is where it was going. And I, I tried to sort of pay attention to you, Arlo, to see if you, if you were noticing that this is where it was going. Like if you, if you were picking up on the fact that sooner or later Zuko's going to end up changing sides and he's going to become one of the good guys. So how well, like, do you feel like this was telegraphed? Do you feel like you saw this coming pretty early on? Um, I think it was around the time of, I mean, I, I can't remember which came first. It was If it was the first Blue Spirit episode or if it was when uh, Aang and, or no, I think it might have been the same episode where Aang and Zuko had that whole, you know, we could be friends one day yeah. uh, conversation. Around that time, I started to think maybe that's where they were headed, but especially given his uh betrayal at the end of last season right i wasn't uh, i wasn't sure if they w- were going to get back to that cool all right well here we are i guess uh i guess we meaning you will find out if it sticks or not um are you going to be heartbroken if you find out if he comes this far and you find out that it doesn't last i will but i don't think it's going to happen okay. i don't really th- i don't really think you can go back to that well again yeah um, I love seeing him, even if it's only in flashbacks and in that really sweet, like, uh, picture that Zuko had in his backpack or whatever. But, uh, you know, you got you got to wonder, where is Iroh while all this is going on? Right. Yeah. And those flashbacks. Wow. That was uh, a completely different Zuko. <laughs> right. Like, not just the attitude, but the entire look of him. Yeah. It's completely different. It looks I weird. Really it love... looks weird with the ponytail, doesn't he? Yeah. I really love these. uh the, the the redesigns later in the series. Yeah. I just have to say again, I I love, love, love Aang's new like Shaolin monk style nomad robes that he wears. Such a cool look. I love it. Um Alright, anything else we have to say about this one? Uh, it was a good episode. Right. Definitely definitely the uh the best of the these two and one of the best in the show. Ooh, alright, so that prefaces or presages perhaps your feelings on uh, 313 the firebending masters or as i like to call it so you think you can dance with dragons so arlo well done well done thank you arlo go for it in my notes i called it how to hang your dragon <laughs> how to hang your dragon <laughs> um uh, I, I agree that uh the previous episode was better but i still really enjoyed this one I thought it was pretty fun. I liked the whole Raiders of the Lost Ark riff. Mm-hmm. Um, although I will admit some of the interplay between Aang and Zuko, like is a, especially I'm thinking like toward the end where they both have their their own flame, and Aang loses his, and he's like, he's stop. like trying to steal Zuko's. Yeah, stop copying me. Like uh, some of that's a little like a little childish. Yeah, but I know I still I I really enjoyed this episode. And hey, dragons. Hey, dragons. Eric? I, on the whole, I, I actually really like this episode. There's, this is one of those ones that I didn't remember very well. In fact, I, I, I'm I, struggling to think of what if I remember this one at all. Like, I feel like I, I feel like I vaguely remember dragons at some point showing up, and that was about <laughs> it. But, um, but even to the point where I didn't remember that the dragons were going to show up until dragons showed up at the end of this episode. So I remembered almost nothing of this. Uh, that made it a little bit of a mixed bag for me because the Sun Tribe is sort of a train wreck in a lot of ways. Yeah, I'm not um, a huge fan of them. But the dragon stuff and the Angzuko stuff is really great. So it's 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 a little bit split for me. The the Sun Tribe is just it just flops a lot, but the scene where they are dancing with dragons is just fantastic and a lot of the Angzuko interplay is really great. And the big thing for me is how it resets up what the fire fire as a power is yes. the way it, it readdresses it. And in a really important and potent way that affects both Aang and Zuko's characters and is also just a great thing to take fire away from being the evil person's power. Right. 
Yeah, I think it's important uh, for this series and and the spinoff series that follows, uh, like for it to continue, they kind of had to find a way that um, <laughs> to prove that firebenders aren't like inherently just always pissed off. <laughs> so, yeah, this was good. I, I wanted to note that. Um, so we've seen at this point now in the series, we've seen three bending teachers, like like Angus had three teachers for various bending styles. And, and this is how it broke down. Uh, first was Katara. She was still new, like to, to her own bending style. She was cautious, maybe even a little bit timid. Um, and Ang quickly took to the style, uh, and seemed, you know, almost to outpace her. Like he seemed for a little while, he seemed like he would be a better, uh, waterbender than she was even. Then you had Toph who was supremely confident. She was an, an, an undisputed master of that style of bending. And she overwhelmed Aang with like her discipline and the, the militant instruction style. And, uh, that caused Aang to really struggle to learn that. Uh, and now we've got Zuko who is supremely confident. One might even say arrogant in his firebending skills. Zuko arrogant. Yeah, maybe no. just a little, just a little. I see it. it's subtle. It's under the, it's under the surface. You got to look for it, but so he, he's, he is like Toph. He's supremely confident. Uh, but this whole recent like transformation that he's gone through, the, the upheaval uh, that he's gone through recently has sort of rendered, has rendered him basically powerless, which forces him and Aang to both learn firebending together from like another set of masters. So I just thought it was interesting, the three different styles of teachers that he's had. I like that. And I like how it's not redundant uh, at any point throughout the series. Um, so uh, to go back to the Sun Warriors for a second, I don't really have strong feelings about them either way. So why do they flop so hard for you guys? For You know, for me, it's part of it is that they, I don't know. It's okay. So be- before this podcast started, we were all talking about the Pirates of the Caribbean movies and, and AJ made a comment about the like sort of uncomfortable, like native characters at the beginning of uh, the second Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Yeah. And there are some ways that that hits this for me. Like, it's weird that like, I don't know, like they, they dress like Aztecs, you know? Yeah, like Yeah. This is very sort of Mayan Aztec inspired here. So, and, and it, which I just found a little, a little odd and out of aesthetic. Now I'm going to admit right now that I'm, there may be um, like Chinese or um, like historical things going on with the design of these characters that I'm not aware of. Like there, this may actually not be Aztec Mayan in, in design sense. I might just be reading that into it because I lack um, knowledge of um, history there. So that might be what's going on. So well, I, I want to be clear about that. I know I've read that the, uh, the creators, like the architecture, um, was sort of, was like Mayan or Aztec influenced when they were designing it. I don't know about the character designs, but it's interesting that the dragons are very, are very much like the Asian style of dragon, not, well, yeah, not the, South I'm, American or whatever. And I was thinking more really the, um, the, the face, costume design, face, face paint and that kind of stuff in the, yeah. Like just specifically like the, 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 like arm plates, but no chest stuff on there. It's just like, mm-hmm. I mean, like what you see a lot when, when people do Aztec and, and Mayan stuff. So yeah. I guess that might not have been their influence of the costumes, but the architecture also looked that way. So anyways, I, I found that a little weird. It just felt a little discordant with the overall feel of the series to me and a little unjustified. And I just don't understand why there's this like group of Aztecs hanging around that are, like way that haven't evolved like haven't like haven't progressed apparently beyond like that like that period i don't know it's just it's 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 a weird thing that they just kind of threw in that i don't really understand and it's not like offensive or terrible or anything but it's just weird and doesn't fit for me also they're just not very interesting i do like the fact that um like Paul said, you know, so far fire has been set up as I mean, the fire nation are the bad guys. Uh, fire bending has been set up as like being driven by rage and evil and all of that. So I like that there's this group of people who um, are like uh, adherents of, like of the original philosophy of fire bending. Though I'm not sure why you couldn't just accomplish that with like a, a subset, like a hidden subset of the fire nation, instead of having this whole culture out in the the mountains yeah i mean 
it didn't consciously bother me. I, I was sort of subconsciously aware that the, the whole aesthetic of this group is different than anything we've seen in the rest of the series. But I guess it really didn't bother me that much. The fact that they're kind of a a hidden tribe or whatever, like they're they're a the lost continent of the Sun Warriors or whatever it is, um, it makes sense to me because they are trying to protect the last two dragons. Like the they are dragon worshippers, I guess is fair fair to say. And dragons have been, as far as the rest of the world is concerned, extinct, like driven to ext- extinction specifically by the Fire Nation. Um, by by Sozin in particular. So the fact that they are sort of living in this little, you know, pocket civilization hidden somewhere in the mountains, uh, that that didn't seem strange to me at all. That made sense to me. And I really like the reveal that, because uh, we keep hearing about Ran and Shaw, the, you know, the firebending masters, mm-hmm. uh, the reveal that they are, in fact, the dragons. And again, it's a red and a blue, which is uh, an image that we've seen at least once, I think twice before there was a, I know for a fact we saw Zuko's sort of nightmare fever dream where Azula, I don't remember which one was which, I think Azula was the blue dragon and Iroh was the red dragon or whatever. And they were like whispering on his shoulder. So I don't know if, I don't know if it's, if like a red, red and blue dragon is just a common enough motif or if that was deliberate foreshadowing. Speaking of Iroh, I also really love the reveal that uh, because Zuko had mentioned before how Iroh had like killed the last dragon or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, Aang was like, well, I thought your uncle was, you know, good. And Zuko's like, he has a complicated past. Then they find out that Iroh was actually the last outsider uh, to come to the Sun Warriors and be told the secret of firebending by Ran and Shaw. Um, And and he just, he he lied about... uh, Killing the dragons, yeah, to protect them. So I thought that was Iroh's a good guy, man. Iroh is a great; he's the best guy. Um, so I super loved the uh, the dancing dragon firebending form. I mean, on the one hand, it's it seemed a little goofy, but I loved the way it paid off, and I loved the imagery of them doing the forms with the dragons flying behind them and like sort of repeating the forms. We'll just tap dance our way to victory over the Fire Lord. <laughs> exactly. Hey, whatever works, man. Whatever works. I'm 100% behind the, the dancing dragon form. I don't think it's goofy at all. I think it's fantastic. I love I love the statue section when they do it. And I especially love the sequence of the dragons, which which is the exact right kind of cheese. Like the exact quantity of cheese you want in a sequence like that it's it's great i mean like them doing the forms with the dragons doing the like thing behind them is i mean okay you're right it is a little cheesy but i i adore it i think it's great it's one of my favorite things i I, it wasn't even that part that i've was saying was cheesy it was at first the very first you see like all the statues and like my first thought as he's as he's doing the dance to step on the plates is you don't have to do the dance. Just fucking walk around, just step on the plates. Like you don't have to hold your arms in a certain position in order to step on that plate in the floor. Why go to all this trouble? And immediately you realize, or, or if not immediately, certainly by the end you realize, no, it's not just, you don't have to do the dance to find all the secret plates to reveal the cosmic egg or whatever it was. It's a, it's a kata. It is a, it's a bending form that you, by doing this dance, by repeating these motions, you learn it and that pays off for them at the end. Yeah, it's great. And I, and the, the multicolored dragon fire is amazing. Mm-hmm. With um, Zuko saying, I saw so many colors, colors I'd never even imagined. Oh, I love the, the Lovecraft fan in me <laughs> loved that. The whole <laughs> color out of space. God damn it. I love that. It's, it's really this is an episode that really works I in some ways despite itself. You know, like the yeah. setup is a little weird with Zuko having performance issues. Um <laughs> yeah. and his, his impotence. Yeah. Yes. Oh, you thank you for making text what I was trying to keep in touch. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Um, no problem. It's my, it's my and, specialty. And the Sun Warriors are just not they're not a disaster, but they're not super effective either. But in the margins of all of that is all this great character stuff and especially once again you're right Arlo, this is like this proves it's Zuko's story because it's entirely about Zuko redefining what firebending is for himself. And yeah, Aang too, but who cares about that? It's really about Zuko. 
So a, a couple notes on this episode. Every once in a while, this show will have a really clunky line of dialogue that reminds you it is technically a kid show. Uh-oh. Um, Zuko in this episode says, it's like the sun, but inside of you. Which Come on, luckily, but that was played for know, laughs. That was I know, they, they lean into it like, well, our civilization is called the Sun Warrior, so yeah, but that was that was a serious that was a serious groan uh moment for me but it was but it was great because it was zuko that said it i i love that zuko can be so intense and and arrogant and obnoxious and out you know dangerous but he can also be a real dork that's true that's true that's that's a good point um and so i want to know and I don't know if either of you will have the answer, but I would imagine there's probably like some Zuko Aang slash fiction out there, right? I'm I'm sure there's more than some. Yeah. Because because so so they get they literally get stuck together uh, mm-hmm. in this episode. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um Sokka has a line, mind if I watch you two jerks do your jerk bending. <laughs> jerk bending. Yeah. <laughs> jerk bending. I, Still uh, got it. <laughs> <laughs> Jerk bending. Um, what do you, what what would their like couple name be? Would, would it just be something as lame as like Zang? Have we have we not covered this before? I think we I did a different one. I think we, I think we have had a version of this conversation, but with a different couple. Well, I like Zang. I think that is uh, onomatopoeic. <laughs> is that did I say that word correctly? Yes. I, I think that is appropriate. If you're going to write slash fiction about these two characters, I mean Zang is a great sound effect for it. Oh, that makes me think of Wayne's World, but oh. <laughs> Schwing. No, not that. Like he literally says Zang. Oh, oh does he? Because oh. yeah, like in but I can't remember what it's supposed to mean in um in I think in Chinese because Tia Carrera's character uh, um does it and he learns it and he talks to the camera and goes Zang and I think it's supposed to be excellent whatever whatever the hell is okay. going on it. but anyways it's a much deeper I, dive into Wayne's World than I expected going into this podcast tonight. I am I am an endless ocean of Wayne's World knowledge <laughs> makes sense um what, what other options are there like Zukang or Echo Echo Anko um yeah I don't know. I think Zang like, is Zang is probably the best Zang. one. Yeah, that's my favorite. Um, the other the other dumb note I had on this episode uh, was that the the two dragons, the red and the blue dragon, really remind me of that uh, uh, coaster at Universal Studios Islands of Adventure. the The dueling dragons, or I guess now it's called uh, Dragon Challenge. Are either of you familiar with this? No, I've never been, so no, I don't. I didn't write it because. I historically am not good with roller coasters, though I'm trying to broaden my horizons these days. Um, but it was a uh, there were two coasters, a blue dragon and a red dragon. And I'm actually looking at, at a picture of the entrance right now, and it's like two, uh, like the the blue dragon and the red dragon, like their giant heads like roaring at each other. And basically, um, they would load uh, guests onto both of the coasters, and the coasters would like twirl around each other and intertwine and come close to like hitting each other. Wow. So that, uh, so perhaps, perhaps the, the red and blue dragons really is like a, a fairly common motif. Yeah, maybe. Cause that was from that. They built that in 99. Yeah. Apparently now, I guess it's been, uh, redone to be part of the Harry Potter world. Now it's dragon challenge. Um. All right. Yeah. Did Harry Potter have Asian style dragons in it? Uh, I mean, there were Asians in Harry Potter, and there were dragons. Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, were they the long, sinewy dragons with the facial hair? The the dragons were were very much Western style dragons. Okay, pretty much all I mean. of the pretty much all of the mythology in Harry Potter is like straight European. But looking at this, looking at this, one of the two dragons, now that it's been redressed as a Harry Potter ride, uh, one of them is the Hungarian Horntail, but the other one is the Chinese Fireball, which is apparently a type of dragon from the Harry Potter books. Okay. So, same. Um, All right. Well, let's see uh, what sort of stupid little notes I have. Well, monkey feathers. Somebody has to say monkey feathers. Monkey feathers. That was great. Um, 
I thought I want to I want to I, I want to give AJ his due here. The Chinese fireball was in um, Goblet of Fire. Okay. And it was one of the obstacles in the first task of the Triwizard Tournament. Oh yeah, so that was the dragon he faced off uh, against in that. Okay. So, there and you go. it does have like the little at least this toy of it that I I'm seeing, which is sold at the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, has the little like not facial hair, but like some sort of scales that kind of look like it could be a yeah, like pie style or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Cool. So there you go. Um, I thought it was interesting that uh, you you already mentioned them getting stuck together, but um, I like that in that particular instance, uh, Zuko of all people is the one that's calling for them to stay calm and to think about their place in the universe, while Aang is the one that's getting pissed off and freaking out. I thought that was a nice True. sort of reversal between the two of them. Yeah. And Aang does seem like the more petulant of the two throughout the episode, whereas Zuko is trying to like recenter himself and, and change. Yeah, he. De- I think he demonstrates like real humility when they meet the Sun Warriors, and um, it was nice of him to to sort of give positive reinforcement to Aang. Like he figured it out on his own. Toph had to be told that when you're teaching Aang, you need to be nice to him. Um, but he was like, uh, you know, you're your flame's going to die because it's, it's weak. You're being too timid. Uh, give it more juice. And he's like, what if I can't control it? I know you can. You're a, you're a smart kid or whatever he said to him. So I thought that was nice. Um, I like the fact that the, the ritual music, like the drum music that they play to summon the dragons is the closing credits music that we've heard on the show from the beginning. Oh yeah. I, yeah. that did uh, not yeah, that... even click with me, but you're right. Yeah. And by the way, um, I so I've been watching this season on Amazon Prime, and I had the subtitles on for this episode. During all of that, um, in brackets and all caps, it says "men vocalizing rhythmically." <laughs> so I did, I actually don't even remember hearing men vocalizing rhythmically. I was I thought it was just drums, but whatever, I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, um, anything else? Did we have anything else about this? Are, are we? Are are? How do you feel, Arlo? Are you excited now that uh, apparently Ang can be a firebender? I, I, you know, it it was one of those things where I cannot believe I it didn't occur to me that Zuko was going to be his firebending teacher until it happened. Wow. Okay. So that's that's kind of part of the question I was asking about. You know, did you see this coming with Zuko? Like, and I, I, I cannot believe it didn't occur to me. It was just one of those things I wasn't even thinking about. Like I knew he had to find a firebending teacher, but it didn't even never occur to me that it would be Zuko. Well, that's awesome. I love the fact that you got you, you told me that you got chills. At, I did. I did. That was such a great moment when awesome. when Aang accepts him, you know, flaws and all. Yeah. Sifu Hotman. Sifu Hotman. <laughs> the. The one thing that jumped out at me at this point, I will say, that is surprising to me, which is that the back half of season three is awfully lax in tension, Mm -hmm. given that the end of the world is about to come. (laughs) Um, Let's see. We've got two more episodes, two more podcast episodes to go before we get to the grand finale. Um, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I mean, I think not that there's no tension at all coming up, but uh, Eric, I think you're right. I think the the sort of tension and 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 drama takes a different form as we head up to the grand finale. Yeah, yeah we have a couple episodes coming up which are definitely action packed, mm-hmm. um, and but they're kind of a side mission in some ways. They're good. And then we have a, an episode that I don't remember and an episode that I would not call tense, although I would call it brilliant, uh, before we get into the finale. And I, it's just very it, – I'm trying to think, you know, once – I think it was basically after the Day of the Black Sun, which sort of like sapped all of the urgency, I think, out of their mission because they don't know what to do mm-hmm. anymore, which I guess is sort of the point. But it's just – it's very – for – I feel like watching these episodes, you would never think – you were like six episodes from the end of a show. Right. Yeah. Because it almost feels like sort of a soft reboot with Zuko joining the gang. Like it, yeah. it feels like a different show. Yeah. I mean, it kind of feels like this kind of feels like we're setting up what's going to be season four to be the end. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so it's not bad. It's, it's just, it's, it's not, I didn't remember this 
kind of feeling of not like like I feel like that at this point you you expect to be like I want to watch the next episode. We have to watch the next episode. You'd be expecting like you know like this roller coaster or like a rock rolling downhill, and we're not, and that's just not the tone. It's taking. It. You know, it's kind of it's kind of addressed in these chapter well it was addressed specifically in the western air temple with the whole um so what's the new plan and Sokka's like well i think the new plan is the old plan you need to find a firebending master and learn uh so much of the first half of this of this season of this book actually the entire series has been building towards that confrontation with the with the fire lord and uh it was it was so tense getting there and so much uh you know fear and anticipation and then that happened and it sort of petered out like we reached and, what we and, thought and, was going to be the climax and it turned out to to not be and now everyone is basically like so what what now and ang in particular seems you know especially in the western air temple does not even want to think about it yeah is completely trying to avoid thinking about the future because he's still dealing with the the horrible loss they faced um uh, back in the Fire Nation. Yeah. So, I mean, you're right, Eric. It is, you know, structurally, it's kind of odd, but I feel like it makes sense. Well, I mean, I feel like it was, it's intentional. So, it's absolutely intentional. It's it's odd, and I'm gonna I'm curious how I'm going to feel about it at the end of mm-hmm. the show, like how I feel everything pulls in because I don't really remember what the overall feel of the last couple episodes before the finale is, but. It's definitely not the tone I was expecting coming back into this. I'm going to I'm going to tell you this and I don't think it's a spoiler. The the final, you know, the finale of Avatar the Last Airbender is Sozin's Comet parts 1 through 4. It's four chapters that we're going to discuss all as one because I believe it was even released all at once. I think it was released as a as a quote-unquote movie. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely I think there was a a full DVD of it. Right. Um, I, I will tell you right now, I, rem- I remember loving the hell out of that. I'm, I've, I remember being extremely satisfied by the end of the series. Uh, and I remember things that happen in it, but I don't remember four episodes, like four chapters worth of stuff. So it'll be interesting when we get there to see um, what my memory has done to this, even having watched it several times. Because uh, yeah. that's, um, that's almost two hours worth of stuff and i remember things but i don't remember two hours worth of things yeah i i am in the although really it's more like an hour and a half right yeah when you get down to it but um it's i do remember some of it but i'm in the same boat as you like i remember a couple of big things and i'm not sure how that plays out across four episodes but that's all right i i remember loving it by the end and i suspect i'm going to again this time so Arlo, it's up to you to be crushingly disappointed by this. Oh man, I can't wait. Yeah. Listeners at home, you have that to look forward to. <laughs> um, all right. Any closing thoughts? Anything else we have to say about either episode? Avatar is good. <laughs> every Hello, every... Zuko here. <laughs> <laughs> There's every... a little reverb uh on that when you said hello. That that was that was kind of uh a surreal moment there just now. Glad I could do that for you. That's, a, that's presaging our Twin Peaks podcast. Ooh. The sipples are not what they seem. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, well, thank you guys for uh, making this another uh, fun episode. I love discussing this with you guys. So thanks for, for being smart and humoring me <laughs> to talk about the show. Uh, and thank you, everybody at home, for joining us. As always, you can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website, theavatarreturns.com. Links will also be posted on our parent show's site. That's gobbledygeekpodcast.com. Or just subscribe to the show on iTunes, and every episode will be hand-delivered to you personally by our flying email lemur. Feed the lemur by dropping us an email at tarpodcast at gmail.com. And, of course, you can always find us on social media. Like us on Facebook for all of our updates, or follow us on Twitter. The show is twitter.com slash tarpodcast. And on Twitter, I am at haunt1013. Eric is at salon, that's S-A-A-L-O-N. And Arlo is at unpluggedcrazy. Uh, next week, another short episode as the countdown to the comet continues with chapters 314 and 315, The Boiling Rock, Part 1 and Part 2. Uh, until then, remember, you have to look within yourself to save yourself from your other self. 
only then will your true self reveal itself. I gotta use my stand. It's gotta be back.